Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the film critic for the website Quipster.net. I'd like to thank everyone for listening, and I hope that you enjoy the review you're about to hear. If you do, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button if you haven't done so already, and you'll continue to get all of my reviews downloaded into your podcast player throughout the year. Also, if you want to check out any of my older reviews... You can do so by going to my website and reading any of my written reviews. I've been doing film reviews since 1996, and you can read them at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Today, I'm going to be looking at a sequel. It's called My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. It's a comedy slash romance, and it's PG-13 rated for some very mild suggestive material. I was surprised that it wasn't a PG, but perhaps there's something that just doesn't stand in the modern-day interpretation of PG for the MPAA. The runtime is an hour and 34 minutes, and the cast reintroduces most of the original cast from the 2002 film. Nia Vardalos, Michael Constantine, Lainey Kazan, John Corbett, Andrea Martin, Gia Carides, Joey Fatone, Louis Mandalore, and it introduces Elena Campuris into the film role of the daughter. The director is Kirk Jones, and the screenplay is by Nia Vardalos, who also wrote the original film. Now, one wonders why it took nearly 14 years to produce a sequel to the number one romantic comedy of all time. It still is, by the way, the number one romantic comedy of all time at the box office. Perhaps the lasting success for the 2003 spinoff sitcom on CBS called My Big Fat Greek Life. That was a flop, which didn't even make it past seven episodes. Maybe that had been thought of as a sign that viewers thought of the original film as a one-and-done kind of property. The original My Big Fat Greek Wedding wasn't even an instant success when it came out. It did have some powerful legs in the nearly year-long theatrical run. It earned more money in its 20th weekend at the U.S. box office than it had in its first 10 weekends of release combined. Screenwriter and star Nia Vardalos had based the modest independent word-of-mouth sleeper And I do mean that it is a sleeper. It earned over $350 million worldwide on a $5 million budget. Now, this was based on Vardala's stage show, and that used a lot of autobiographical material that would make it into the film. She spruced it up, of course, with a lot of comedic interpretations on her real-life events. And that film featured Vardalos playing Tula, who... In the film was a younger Greek-American woman. In real life, Vardalos is Canadian. She eventually would marry a non-Greek named Ian, kind of a waspy kind of guy in the film. In real life, Vardalos married a man of Puerto Rican and Russian descent. Tula's very traditional family takes a very long time to come around to her desire to marry someone outside of their Greek origins, but they eventually do, and We presume they lived happily ever after, but of course now we get the sequel, so we get to know for sure whether that happens. And yes, Ian and Tula are still happily married, but the romantic spark in their marriage is largely gone. Tula and Ian did have a 17-year-old daughter named Paris, and Paris is already getting pressure from Tula's father, Gus, to find a boyfriend and get married and start having Greek babies even though she's still in high school. Tula herself is more concerned with a different kind of life milestone for Paris, namely college, because the family desperately hopes that Paris will choose to stay near them in Chicago by attending Northwestern University and not go somewhere else in the country where they would not be able to visit whenever they want. As this very close-knit family generally gives hugs until they suffocate the person getting those hugs, Paris began seriously mulling over trying to be as far away as possible from what she considers to be the most overbearing family that one could never hope for. Meanwhile, in kind of an ironic twist of fate, 
The family patriarch, Gus, gets pressure from his own family to marry when it's discovered that he and his wife of 50 years, Maria, were never officially wed due to the marriage certificate remaining unsigned by the priest that presided over the wedding. Now, Gus thinks that this is just a formality. It can be settled with a quick john to City Hall, but Maria, thinking that Gus didn't do it right the first time around and it had been bothering her for over almost five decades, wants Gus to earn the privilege of being her husband yet again with a real marriage proposal and a proper formal wedding. Now, while My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 is, critically speaking, it's a middling comedic work, it feels more like an extended sitcom episode than it does a full-fledged big-screen feature release. Despite that, I do think that it's likely going to be considered generally entertaining for those who love the 2002 film and who have been wanting to see a reunion movie of sorts with these beloved characters. Now, many of the jokes are merely cultural stereotype callbacks to those gags that many enjoyed from the first film. Now, by the way, that first film, another surprise for that, it did go on to get an Oscar nomination for Nina Vardalos for her screenplay. I don't think that she's going to get an Oscar nomination for this one because of the fact that it's more of a fan service kind of film. Gus still uses Windex to fix everything. He thinks everything can be traced back to Greek origins. And so it really is kind of a rehash that you get in order to make people who love the first film recall, oh, yes, yes, I love this part. Oh, I remember this. Oh, I love that character. Your tolerance on how much you welcome a rehash of all of these gags is likely going to depend on how much you want to slip comfortably back into these characters and their situations and their lives. The jokes are very broad and very obvious. You have situations that are contrived heavily and supporting characters that are here merely to service a kind of joke that they repeat whenever that they do appear in a scene. You know, the first film had been very self-contained. This sequel seems to be angling toward perhaps making it a franchise because we have this young Paris becoming the obvious next candidate for a big Greek wedding should part two prove successful. You know, this is a belated follow-up, but it's still easy to consume Yet, it's also just as easy to forget, given that it doesn't offer anything truly new that hadn't already been done in the 2002 original, I'd say it's really a film that's only of interest for those who just want to feel the comfort of a simple diversion featuring their beloved characters willing to get together for one more go-around for the fans. Interesting that John Stamos actually makes an appearance in this film because he was doing another fan service type property just earlier this year with Fuller House, the rehashing of Full House, just for the fans. This is very similar to that kind of property. So if you're a fan, you'll probably enjoy it, but I definitely don't think it's a must-see, especially if you didn't really care for the first one, or maybe you've long forgotten it. It just made no impact to you. One of the running jokes is that Tula, she, in the first film, was the woman who was once embarrassed by her doting family. She's grown to become just like them in this sequel. I'd say that So too has My Big Fat Greek Wedding as a franchise turned from a film that younger generations could enjoy in that it made fun of their busybody parents, and it's turned into a franchise with jokes that are so corny and so cliched that only one's parents might truly enjoy them. So in the end, it's come full circle, or I should say full Kalamatiano's circle, the Greek dancing circle that you see featured in pretty much any film that depicts Greek culture. It's not a good movie. I can't quite you know, claim it as such. I'm going to give it two and a half stars out of four, meaning 
it's really, unless you're a hardcore fan, I don't think that you're going to get enough out of this to justify full movie ticket price. But it is watchable. It's a smiler. It's it's warm and it's nostalgic. And it's a difficult film to hate if you don't just hate romantic comedies in general. But I do feel that this is the kind of movie that really should have been made for TV. You know, it's it's produced by HBO. It, maybe it should have just appeared there and people wouldn't have had any kind of higher expectations out of it. Two and a half stars out of four for my big fat Greek wedding too. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you happen to be a long time listener and you want to support the show, I do encourage you to go to iTunes and leave a review. Every review there really helps immensely to find the kind of audience that will keep this show going for a long time. The Quipster Film Review Podcast is the name of the show. Also, if you want to write to me directly, you can go to my website. You can find my contact information there, as well as links to my Twitter feed and my Facebook page. Just go to quipster.net, and you'll find all of that information out. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Until next time, I hope that you enjoy your time anytime you go to the movies, and that this podcast can contribute to becoming part of that experience. 